I put the new 4G's on the G I trap into the bloody bottoms is underneath Cause all my got it out the streets I keep a hundred racks inside my jeans I remember hitting them all with the whole team Not can't answer calls cause I'm balling I was waking up getting racks in the morning I was broke, now I'm rich, deep, salty All this designer on my body got me drip Welcome back to Ferret's Gone, episode 15, last pod of 2020. Um, you know, off season again, just still working through everything. Almost everyone's biggest sign, other than a few Donaldsons still out there. Uh, who else is still out there? Off the top of my head, uh, Azuna's out there. There's one other big name. Who am I missing? I was just reading an article earlier about top remaining free agents, and I cannot remember now. <laughs> I know there's Marcel Zuna, Donaldson. Zuna, Donaldson. Zuna. Brock, Brock Holt's still out there, who's a lot better off. Oh, my gosh. Oh, oh, Nick Castellanos. That's the third. Yeah, one. that's it. That's Outside it. of those, about everyone's signed. But Tance is just staying in New York, switching teams. He signed with the Mets. Corey Dickerson, where all careers go to die, went down to Miami. White Sox pick up another big bad, Edwin Encarnacion. Eugene Ryu. Goes north of the border, going to Toronto. Detroit picks up both Scope and Crone. Keichel to the White Sox as well. Travis Shaw to Toronto. Oof. Uh, just, you know, just some filling out the roster. Calhoun to Arizona. Just filling out the roster type of moves. Tyler Clippard to Minnesota. Smoke to Milwaukee. Michael Franco to Kansas City. Get uh, Roma back to Minnesota. Roma back to, yeah. Yeah. Matt Kim signed a minor league deal with Miami. Cesar, Cesar Hernandez yeah. Yeah. went to Cleveland. Yeah, I mean, at this point, they're just kind of filling out the rosters. Some more role-player moves. I will say the White Sox do look really deep on paper now. Their lineup looks like yeah. it's a stretch. They're, the White Sox could make a run at something. I would not be shocked at all if they win that division. They're a little short on pitching, but if Giolito can – Keep up the pace. He pitched real well last year. If Michael Kopech can come back and he's got the stuff to be a one or a two, if he can get his control under wraps and come back healthy, he'll be decent. Keiko's not a one or a two at this point. He's more of a three or a four, but he'll eat innings for them and hopefully stay healthy. Carlos Rodon's got some potential too if he can stay healthy. I mean, they've got a ton of upside on paper. Yeah, listing yeah. a lot of ifs with that one. But oh, I, yeah. think, I think I mean, they have an outside There's ifs with every team. I, I mean, that's so that, they're not the that favorite, division, but that division is one big. Ill. They are. They have yeah. maybe the most upside of any mid-level team in baseball right now. Yeah, that's true. They also have the biggest downside. Though. And they it's, play in a they play in a weak division too, though. That's the thing. Big if, and I think Justin just put it nicely. A big if division. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Whole division is a big. I if, mean, we, we talked about it on a couple big, pods ago. I can easily see it breaking their way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we talked about it on a couple pods ago. Minnesota's one big if if all those kind of mid-tier guys can go hit 30, 35 home runs again. Cleveland is really an if, no matter – who knows what they're going to do with Lindor or Clevenger in the next two, three months before the season really gets under wraps. Ramirez. Yeah, Jay Ram. Now the White Sox are making a push at things, but, again, they have a bunch of big ifs. That division is going to shape up to be one of the better races out of all the divisions. Yeah, yeah. Jay Ray, you mean the 18th best player in baseball? Oh gosh, oh gosh, <laughs> oh gosh. Um, going over to the Mets doesn't have to move. Uh, I guess that's good for him. I mean, saves money on a U-Haul. 
I mean, I guess the Yankees are saving money and sending him to his rehab assignment just down the road in Queens. Yeah. Honestly, it's all there's. That's all, that's all that's happening there. I don't quite get the rationale behind not going after him, except for I think the Yankees are over the luxury tax now, and they just didn't feel like his price tag was worth it. Um, but I don't know that he necessarily wanted to stay in with. Uh, I can't say stay in New York because he's still in New York. Stay with the Yankees. Um, I mean, he could potentially, depending on how he's pitching when he comes back, he may be like their fourth or fifth option out of the pen mm-hmm. in New York. He's not going to, he may not get the type of leverage situations that he wants. And he, I don't know if y'all know, but being a Yankees fan, when he went to his arbitration hearing, I think two years ago, the Yankees team president ripped him apart. Yep. It, they, I mean, he was. It's one thing. I mean, obviously, they want to try to win the arbitration hearing, but he just went above and beyond trying to, like, he can't pitch in high-leverage situations. He's, like, just all sorts of stuff, just tearing him down. And I I wonder if that contributed to it at all. Like, he knows i got to play out my six years here, and after that, I'm just going to move on. Oh, it has to be. I mean, that's the yeah, risk I mean, of arbitration with every single team is, is basically you have to go bat up at bat against your own guy but still keep some kind of relationship. I remember that's what happened, happened with Garrett Cole and the Pirates a few years ago is yep. Cole was offended in those meetings. And it happens every – that's why so many teams try to avoid arbitration because they know it goes down. And Yeah, and I, I mean, I but Dances has Dances, been one of the best relievers in baseball. Elite? He, he you know, was for a few at, years. At least, with Garrett, at least with Garrett Cole, I feel like at that time in Pittsburgh – Cole was trying to get paid off of the, all right, if I put it all together, I'm going to be the best pitcher in baseball. But Pittsburgh's like, well, you haven't. We're not going to pay you mm-hmm. anywhere near that amount. There there was a disconnect there, but I think Patances was trying to get paid more like a closer because he was the, by far the most elite relief pitcher in baseball and non-ninth inning guy. But oh, okay. it, I was, I was going to say, that's a bit of a stretch. Yeah. Yeah. Relief pitcher being not a closer. Yeah. I mean, the stretch in 2014-2015 seasons, an 174 innings pitch. He had an ERA plus of 273. He missed the entire an ERA season. ERA of 145. Still, still leads the majors in strikeouts. I think it was over the past five seasons. Mm-hmm. Something like that. He missed this entire season, basically. Faced two batters, struck them both out. So spotted everyone else an entire season and still has the most strikeouts over the last five years by, like, 30 or 40. It's impressive. I'd say Wade Davis might have been the best relief pitcher, non-ninth inning guy for a year or two there, but for a long stretch, yeah, yeah. I agree. Yeah, I don't don't Uh, know. But good signing by the Mets. I think it's it's pretty low risk for them, especially with how shaky Diaz was last year. (laughs) It's It's a really good signing for them because they can make it a push at a wild card. I think they've got a pretty good team. For the second yeah, straight year, for the second straight year, I'd say the NL East is the most interesting division in baseball. You have four teams that really could make a run at it. Yeah. And Mets, I'm liking the Mets more and more. They're young guys coming up and producing, yeah. and now they're filling out that depth a little bit. They're starting pitching is looking good. I, I like the Mets a lot more now than I did last year at this time. The oh, Phillies, yeah. I'm still kind of on. The Braves, I, I still think the Braves are the class of the NL East, and but it's yeah. it's a really tight win, tight gap. And the Nats are going to be back, so it's going to be a really interesting division. Yeah. Oh yeah, I, I mean, w- one of the note on Betances in high leverage situations on you know what 
baseball reference likes to call high leverage situations. He has a batting average against 179, and guys only have an OPS of 572 in his career. <coughs> that is as elite as elite comes. Oh, yeah. He's – there was – outside of the ninth inning, because he was a little shakier in the ninth inning as a closer, but seventh, eighth inning, I felt completely confident with him in the game up until he – when he started dealing with injuries two years ago – with his shoulder, then it got a little shaky. But before that, he was – I mean, Patanz is in the game. You know you're getting out of it. Yep. I like the signings um, some of the weaker teams in baseball made. The Corey Dickerson signing mm-hmm. by the Marlins, I like that a lot. It's yep. it's like a low – it's real risk, but it's someone who's going to produce for them and maybe can get the fans a little bit back into it, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But, uh, team, yeah, Marlins, yeah. Like, Blue Jays – and Detroit, too, picking up Scope and Crone. I'll tell you which signing I really like. I really like the Travis Shaw signing. He had an awful year last year. But the two years before that, he was very productive. So, hey, buy low, sell high, right? So if they're going to buy yeah. low and produces like he has in the past, not last year, but before that, that's a very good signing by the Blue Jays and one that could result in them maybe flipping him the deadline for a mm-hmm. nice bit of profit there. So I'd say it's a very smart signing in that part. I, Tigers. I, I want to like the signing. I do not like Travis Shaw. Well, yeah, I, I understand that, I, but it's very low yeah. risk. Oh, yeah, extremely ro- low risk for them. I can't fault them at all. Yeah. And the Tigers signing C.J. Crow, and who's the other guy? Justin Scope. Scope, yeah. Justin. He Scope. hit 40 home runs yeah. three years ago for the Orioles as a second baseman. Yeah. It's, they're actually making a play to try to win 50 games this year, so good for the Tigers. <laughs> I mean, these are these are the exact kind of players the Tigers need to have a good first half and then just legit chips to go get another prospect or two because they're mm-hmm. in that complete tank mode right now as most rebuilding teams yep. begin to do stuff like that. Um, yeah, Trev, I, I don't have much on show. What does signing do for Miggy, though? I guess they slide Miggy to DH, maybe? Yes. Yes, they need, they need to. to do that. Yes. Badly. His defense is putrid. <laughs> yeah. No, his defense is awful. I mean, the dude can barely move, yet alone play defense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, one last thing on Dallas Keuchel. I think Dallas Keuchel adds more. I mean, I watched him pitch it for the Braves for an entire year, and him with Yasmani Grandal, who's one of the better framers and uh, receivers in the league, I think he may play above his actual um, abilities, maybe. I guess that's the word I'm looking for. I think I think Keiko's more un, one of the more underrated signings of the offseason. I think That'd three years. Up for them. They I agree. I, I think I think three years was a little long for a guy who can barely touch 89 anymore because his stuff's deteriorating fast. He's never been a guy. He's always been a ground ball, pitch to contact guy. I don't think speed is an issue for him. It's not, but 89, and then that's gonna in two years that's gonna turn into 87. That's just I don't know. But anyways, the price of, the price of pitching is something. I'm not a huge velo guy. I think it's more about speed differential between your pitches. It matters. It, it most I, certainly yeah, matters. I thought, obvious, well, obviously. Take it from a guy who throws 81. I'd much rather be throwing 87. Yeah, yeah. 89 is a lot easier to hit than 100. But if you're throwing 100 with a 96-mile-an-hour slider, that's almost easier to hit than 89. And then you can toss in an 82-mile-an-hour changeup and a 75-mile-an-hour curveball. I'm going to go Certainly. on a limb here and say a 96-mile-per-hour slider. I don't think you're touching that pitch. I mean, if it's only a four-mile-per-hour difference, I think you could touch it. It might not be good contact, but you could hit it. 
it's speed differential. It's uh, it's 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 tough thing to. Each pitcher has their own way of getting outs yeah. in baseball. You could be a submarine guy that's just deceptive. You could have good speed differential, good velocity. There's so many ways to get outs. I, I don't think one way is better than another. Mm. Um, I think that there's an over saturation of high velo guys now because that's the easiest thing for scouts to see. Yep. However, yes, if you're a scout, who are you going to look at? The guy throwing 95 in high school or the guy throwing 85 in high school who's spotting up all his pitches, going good breaking yeah, stuff? Yeah, you're going to yeah, take the 95 yeah, guy every single time. Right. Yeah, and, and it makes sense. And hope you can develop him. But, yeah. I, yeah. So I understand why that's happening. We'll get into this later when we're talking for the look back, back to 2010, how the velocity and all that's changed. But, yeah. yeah I get, it's, it's all preference. It's all preference. Yeah. Hey, I, in my, as long as you get now, it's, I don't really care how you do it. Yep. Uh, Calhoun to Arizona. I'm not. I'm not a big Calhoun guy. I honestly I'm, think I'm not either. I think he. He's. If I remember correctly, without looking it up, he's. He's got some pop, but he's really low OBP and high strikeout. He doesn't have. He doesn't have. Pop. He's, a, he's he a good defender, which I. Uh, I think Arizona is kind of prioritizing outfield defense because Castellanos would play there. Play well there with the bat, I think, but and they've got a little wiggle room in their budget. I've never been a big rid of Frankie's yeah. deal, but I it sounds like they're prioritizing defense. I, I'm just not a big fan of him. I think he's average. I've never uh, been a big fan of Calhoun. So he didn't really yeah. he didn't really move the needle. Yeah, he had 33 home runs, but he still slugged under 800 or yeah, under under yeah OPS under 800. Yeah, because his OBP wasn't it. Uh, I'm pretty sure he didn't slug that well either. Off the top of my head, I don't even think he's no no doubles. Yeah, no doubles. It was like home runs. Yeah, he's only he didn't even slug about 500 with 33 home runs. Mm. <laughs> he slugged 467. What was his OBP? 325. I mean, he batted 230, yeah. but he had an OBP. So he, his OBP was a 90 point jump. Yeah, but if you're batting 235, uh huh, and on top of a low slugging, I mean, he OPS at seven. 92 with 33 home runs, that's no bueno. And he's just had those random years of really low batting averages. Yeah, I'm not a big... I, he, he's no, all right. If you need somebody to play decent defense and hit a few home runs, sure, but he doesn't move he doesn't the needle. Yeah. I'm not sure that makes much sense for the Diamondbacks. I, I would have thought more like a team like the Marlins could have used a guy like him, a vet to come come in, show the younger, show the younger guys the ropes a little bit, while also getting a little bit of production. I guess he fills their outfield depth up a little bit, but if they're going to look at him to be a starter, nah, I don't know. Yep, I agree. Uh, and the big one, Ryu to Toronto. Mm-hmm. Interesting. I don't, know. I don't know why the Dodgers don't match that. I uh, It doesn't make much sense to me on the on the Dodgers front. How much yeah. did he get again? 480. 480. Four years, 80 million. Oh my gosh. Why the heck would you not match that? He just had so the best my guess career. is they – Justin and I talked about this a little bit. My guess is that either the Dodgers did not feel it was worth it to hit the luxury tax for him or they felt that was overpaying him in general. Oof. I don't know. What year he just had? I, I know it's just one year, I, so I get that, but – I'm torn on myself because he's had injury history. He's had injury troubles before. Yeah. I, I can't tell. He reminds me a little bit of Alex Wood because Alex Wood's had flashes too where he's been really good, but he cannot stay healthy. 
Yeah, I I don't know. If I'm the Dodgers, I don't. They haven't done anything in the offseason, but let let go of Ryu. I mean, I mean, I, I know they have that. And not 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 get Rendon. Right, and not go get anybody else. He is 33 years old, so I get that. But his last two seasons, he only played like half of 2018, but seven and three, the 197 ERA, I, 15 15 starts. 15 starts is pretty significant. So I mean, uh, in his last. Yeah. His last 45 starts, the dude's got an ERA. Do you know, do you know how many guys, though, have had great 15-start runs? Okay, yes. It's a small sample size. Yeah. But over his last, like, 45 starts or so, he's got an ERA in, in the ballpark of, like, 2.15. Yeah, the dude's, dude can pitch. I tell you off the top of my head, as a Braves fan, I've watched Ryu pitch against the Braves four or five times, and I he may be the second coming of Greg Maddox when he pitches against the Braves every single game. So I'm yeah. so happy he's out of the. Out I, I of think the, the big thing for the I think the holdback for the Dodgers was paying him through it from 33 to 37. Sure. With his history already, and their core is young enough. I don't think they wanted to lock in all that money to a guy into his mid to late 30s. Justin did just bring up a good point though that if he's the next coming of Greg Maddox, that's the type of pitcher who can pitch into their late 30s. He's not lost. He's, he's a control guy. I I like Ryu. I'm really high on Ryu, and I think he got. He's he's really good for me, and I think the Dodgers should just pay the man. I mean Garrett Cole. I, I know he's not in the same ballpark as Garrett Cole. He's got a longer yeah. But how much did Garrett Cole get a year? 30, 35 million a year. 35 million. The way the pitchers are getting paid now for him to only get 20. Jake Arrieta is getting twenty million a year. Like, um, I like the re- I like the <laughs> I, think, I, I mean, he's pitched two full season. No, he's pitched one full season in the last three years. Okay. His last. So, no, yeah. he's pitched one full se- one full season in the last five years. He didn't pitch at all in twenty fifteen. He threw one game in twenty sixteen. And he pitched. He missed about eight starts in 2017. Missed over half the season in 2018, and pitched about a full season last year. I don't know. For me, the guy who almost wins the Cy Young Award and has been healthy for the last year and a half. Yeah, I know it's injury history is always risky, but every pitcher has. Oh, I know. Strasburg's only made more than 25 starts twice in the last five years. Yeah, exactly. I, I don't buy that argument. I, 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 mean, I think he's right. He essentially went two whole years without pitching, and you can make the argument that now he's got less miles on his arm, but not LSU less miles. But um, I mean, Zach Wheeler got paid that kind of money. Zach Wheeler. I think Zach Wheeler is grossly overpaid. He was right. Well, that's just the market. I don't agree. I, I don't agree too, with that. The market. That's ex- that's what that's my point. It's the market right now. Like it, if it, it is if you talked to me five years ago, but the Dodgers. I'm not going to totally disagree with what the Dodgers are doing. They've been the most successful organization in baseball the last seven years. And I, I, I really think the biggest thing for them is their core is young enough that they can still ride that core into the next beyond Ryu's contract. It's not like they're trying to win these next one or two years. I think I think if they could have got him on a two-year deal, I think they re-sign him. I don't think they want to pay him $40 million at age 36 and 37. I don't buy the uh... – well, it's the Dodgers, so, and they've been really good the last couple of years with their decision-making, so they must be right. Like We can still have opinions. The Patriots make well, mistakes. We, Every team we makes will mistakes. see how it plays out, but it would not surprise me at all if he's unproductive if and or hurt. If you're expecting a drop-off, that is totally fair. I, I can definitely see that. 
maybe ERA around three. Okay, I, th- I still think that's a win for the Blue Jays if he pitches to that yeah. caliber for three out of four yeah. seasons. Again, there's ifs. If he's on the mound and if there's he's... There's if ifs with everything. Everything yeah. we're talking about right now is an if. What if Garrett Cole goes and blows his arm out and never pitches a ball in baseball? No, I agree. I mean, I think it can work out for the Blue Jays. I I just don't know that I see it happening. I'm, I, think it's, I, I think seem it's to be a lot more bearish on him than you guys are. But Yeah, yeah I mean... He's just been hurt almost half of his career. Yeah, but in the Literally. 125 games he started, he's rocketed 298. So even if I only get 25 games out of him, I'm not complaining. If you get two, two it's not seasons, like he's had a bad season. If you get ever. two out of four seasons where he's pitching like he did last year, or at least close to how he pitched last year, that's a win for 20 million a year for the Blue Jays. That's my take. Yeah, I guess. But the, but the I mean, if you're the Dodgers, do you want to sink 20 million into a guy that you may only get half of his starts over four years? But the depth they have, sure. Yes, yes. Okay, that's fair. I that's fair. With 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 the rest of their projected, I mean, they have Julio Rios getting projected at their starting rotation right now, and that's no bueno. Like they're running thin on pitching right now. He's young. Not sign Rios. He's so young. I kind of like Julio. I think he could turn into a reasonable pitcher. Wait, so so now do they have depth or no? Because you guys just they they have they they have have depth. They have depth. They're fine if to have they, him miss half his starts. If they sign Ryu, they have depth because they don't have to pitch Urias in another guy for 60 starts instead of only 30. Mm-hmm. Without Ryu, they don't have depth. With Ryu, you could say they have depth. But now yeah. they have to put those guys in, and now they're lacking depth. I mean, what what was it with Walker? Was it Walker Bueller? Walker Bueller, Kershaw. He was, bull, he was in the bullpen, and then he just there was like, oh, you can start a few games, and he turned into. A top-notch starter. So, I mean, Dude, they have depth. <laughs> yeah. He's always been a starter. Well, yeah, but I think he was in the he bullpen. Got, he got called up to be in the bullpen. Right. So I mean. they could go ahead and get him into the majors. That's called depth. That's what I mean. That's my point. Okay, but he's now in the rotation. Right. Please do that. I don't, here we they go. Don't here, have, we go here we go. Walker, Bueller, Bueller, Kershaw, uh, Maeda, who no, was no, in the pen, Urias, no. and Gonsolin is their starting rotation right now. That's not good. Yeah, you throw Ryu, you can bump Urias and Gonsolin to your depth role. That's a pretty good sixth starter. But with mm-hmm. them in their 5-4 role, yikes. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah, I don't know. Well, Anyways, only, only time will We'll see how sell. it works out. We'll see how that one works out. Yeah. Uh, anything to, else on the free agent market? Anything big? We, we need to keep a book of, like, all the our, all of our takes and just look back, like, two, three years from now. <laughs> Like, wow, we are stupid. Well, that's what Spotify's for, son. That's why we upload these things. Hey. Um, yeah, I mean, that's about it for the free agent market, right? Anybody else? Cesar Hernandez to Cleveland is a good signing. I don't have any. It doesn't move the meter, but it's a good signing. Yeah, I'm indifferent on that one. Yeah. Yeah, okay. I think it's a good signing for them just because there's not a lot of second base options on the free agent market. He's shown he can play in years past, and they needed a second baseman. Yeah. I think yeah, Mike I Freeman was their projected starter before they picked up Hernandez. And he goes into that switch hitting lineup. I think their top four hitters are all switch hitters. Yep. Um, no big trades going on the last couple of days. Honestly, I haven't really heard many rumors about anything, any new rumors. I mean, John Heyman keeps beating the exact same tweet every day about Josh Donaldson. I'm getting really tired of seeing it, but 
John Heyman. John Heyman is, John Heyman is the worst Twitter account on baseball. all of baseball. Bit Bitmoji boy. I'm telling you. But anyways, <laughs> he um, just spews garbage and. Well, he just cop. He just rewords tweets. That's all he does. Rewords other people's tweets. Just spews garbage. I'm hearing that three teams are in on Josh Donaldson with one mystery team. Who knows who that mystery team will be? <laughs> if the mystery team reveals day. itself, it could be pretty interesting. Okay, John. Thanks, thanks there, Chieftain. Yeah. yeah I mean, but no, that, I haven't heard anything anything special. I mean, ooh, the New York Yankees acquired Christian Perez for Chance Adams. I will say, do you remember what I do say? Chance Adams was supposed to be, like, the next guy for... You know, I never York, got he's, that. He's been a zero. I remember that. Good, de- good times. Didn't y'all, like, not trade him for Garrett Cole when he was in Pittsburgh, if I remember right? Was that Was that him? Uh, I think it was Clint, but maybe I think they wanted Adams and Frazier and then settled for half of that from Houston. Yeah. Yeah. You will have that. You will have that. Uh, but anyways, moving on. As I Pittsburgh mentioned earlier, TV. last pod. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> uh, last pod of 2020. Decade interview. Baseball has changed a lot in the last ten years. Um, so let's let's start it off with our all-decade team. Then we then we get into see how our how baseball has changed in our eyes throughout the last ten years. Major League Baseball. Um, so I mean, all-decade team. We'll knock it out real quick. Catcher behind the plate. I have Posey. Posey. I've got Posey. Yeah. I, there was. I mean, so I feel like some of these positions there was like a debate between one or two guys, but yeah. for the most part. You knew who it was. First base, it was a debate between two guys. I went Votto. I went Votto. I went Miggy. And it's splitting hairs. Yeah. They were both uh, excellent. If I if I could have stuck Votto in my DH spot, I would have. Yep. That's or Miggy. Too bad he yeah. plays in the NL. <laughs> yeah. Uh, going down the list, second base. Who y'all got? Cano. I went Cano. I was going back and forth. Yep, back and forth. It, it was him close. Too. I, was, I was back and forth. I was actually a little bit back and forth between Posey and Yachty just because Posey hasn't played. He missed that whole season. He hasn't played as many games at catcher now. Yachty's got him. And he's just such a good defender. But at the end of the day, MVP, Rookie of the Year, three World Series from Posey. Yep. It, although I was reading, um, doing research this morning, I pulled up uh, – they, I guess they had, I don't know who they had vote, but they had some people vote on all decade teams. And that one actually, they said, came down to one vote between Posey and Yachty, which I was surprised about. That's very surprising. Yeah, because in my eyes, it's not close. Into it, it wasn't. Yeah, that's that, I mean, people not looking at clear numbers. one and two, but when I started digging into it, it was pretty clearly Posey. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's people using their gut feeling instead of actually looking at numbers. Yeah. Not really that Yachty probably couldn't his self out of a wet paper bag some <laughs> in sub seasons of this decade. <laughs> um, third base, I'll let y'all go ahead. I'll let you go first, Gabe. I had a surprise pick, Nolan Arenado. It was between him and Altuve, That's it was really tight. Yeah, um, I know Altuve I, played third base. Yeah. What? We said third base. You just said Altuve. You mean Beltran? I said Arenado. Oh, that's. Oh, I'm yes. sorry. I'm sorry. Yes. Come on, figure it out. Adrian Beltre, that's his name. And while he did have the advantage of playing for a little bit longer, I, I wanted to pick guys who kind of played the whole decade. So Beltre had the edge in that regard, but Arenado's just been so good in his seven, eight years now. Seven years, yeah. I think. 
yeah, it was really close, and I was going back and forth, but I just kind of like 50-50 coin flip Arenado. Yeah, I went. I was at, I was at the same spot, 50-50 coin flip between Beltre and Arenado. I think just the fact that Beltre is one just so fun to watch. He's always really enjoying playing the game, and then uh, the fact that I still hard for me to tell how much the Coors effect has on Arenado, whether he would be the same player outside mm-hmm. of Coors Field. Definitely fair. And so I, between that, I, I took Beltre. Uh, I went with my boy JD. Um, it was between him and Beltre and Arenado. It was between all three of them. I let my personal opinions on players get into that mix. But on the flip side of that, <laughs> that's Donald the same Dallas reason happened. I took Garrett Cole over to Grom in our pitch. That is but, uh, egregious. But uh, Donaldson did have the second highest F4 of any third baseman over the decade, and it wasn't that far behind Beltre, if I remember right. Beltre. Yeah, Beltre was number one. Who's and, this JD guy you speak of? JD Drew? Yeah, JD Drew. JD Donald, Donald, Donaldson. Third yeah, Donaldson had a 41.4 F4 and Beltre had 42.8. They were the only two above 40. Um, yeah, I mean, that's just it was just taming out a personal preference there. Yeah. But moving into left field, which I thought was the weakest of the uh, shortstops. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah, shortstop. Stop. I forgot. We still have shortstop, don't we? There weren't many to choose from. No. Nope. No. It was pretty bad. It's bad. I went, I, I went with Lindor. Yep, so did I. I. Simmons, good defender, played longer than Lindor, but can't hit a lick. And Tulowitzki dropped off so hard at the last half of the decade that I just couldn't justify putting him there. Yeah, I went Lindor for the same reasons you just said. I, I wouldn't say Simmons couldn't hit a lick, but it's, yeah. He's Even though Lindor only plays. Yes, plus under 100. He's not a good hitter. Well, OPS well plus is, is the only 100's stat. league average. So, I mean, take what you want. I mean, not hit a lick in league average. No, I know he, he. He's not a good hitter. He's okay. He Okay, yeah. early, early in the decade, he was not that good at hitter. Oh, Late in the decade, he's gotten better. He has not been bad hitter the last few years. That is but true. That's another that's an argument for another time. I Lindor has been for five years the far away best shortstop in the league. So yeah, that was not a really a no brainer for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not gonna beat a dead horse Lindor for everything y'all just said. Uh, moving into the outfield, left field again. As I jumped the gun a little bit, I said was the weakest of the. I would say the weakest of all these positions. I went with Ryan Braun. Uh, in my opinion, it came down between Braun and Justin Upton and Braun. I guess that MVP season, steroids, whether he took them or not, you know, whatever. But yeah. I think Braun had the higher peak, so I went with Braun there. Yeah. Um, I don't know if I'm allowed to put him here, but uh, I guess I feel like I can because he's played there for the last three-plus seasons, I think. Uh, Andrew McCutcheon. Oh, yeah. That's fair. Oh, gosh. Yeah, yeah you're right. I feel like forgot about him. Yeah, I just yeah. saw McCutcheon more than I, center fielder. I kind of had to put him over Braun just because Braun with the steroids and everything. Left field was really weak. Mm-hmm. Very weak. Outfield in general was kind of weak compared to first through third base. I went – okay, I'm going to change it now. I'm, I like your pick, Ryan. I'm going to change it because McCutcheon, last, until like the last two, three years, he was consistent eight-war guy a season. Yeah, so, he was very yep, good. I will take McCutcheon left field over Braun. Yeah, my only reason for keeping Braun there was that McCutcheon played center field for most of the decade. But yeah. That's fair. Yeah. Um, but moving over to center field, I don't <laughs> even have to really talk about this one. Mike Trout, right? Okay. Mm-hmm. Wait, I had uh, Jacoby Ellsbury. I'm I, sure you did. Yeah, I had Carl Crawford. <laughs> no. Trout. Carl Crawford. Yeah. 
I forgot Carl okay. Crawford existed. <laughs> yeah. I, don't know, I don't know why he just popped in my head. I don't know why he just popped in my head, but he did. So. Jason Bay. <laughs> Jason Bay, that's disgusting. He will oh. forever be my obscure, my go-to obscure but good player. He was so good for like four seasons or so. He was so yeah, good. And he signed a big contract with Boston <laughs> and was terrible. Oh, terrible is an understatement. Terrible is an understatement. He stunk. I, re- I remember when he signed and everyone was talking about, oh, my gosh, Jason Bay is going to be incredible. He's just going to continue. Every at-bat, he's going to hit a ball off the green monster, <laughs> whatever. He was terrible. For some reason, one of my I, – I just had this random memory from high school. We were just walking in the hallway, and we were just talking about Jason Bay, how bad he was. This How many years ago was that? Gosh. Dude, yeah, Jason it was Bay funny. Was, Jason Bay was a walking meme. He really was. <laughs> now it's Chris Davis with a C. Yeah, for real. Yikes. Uh, moving over to, I guess, the last spot. I went with Giancarlo, MVP, the right fielder. I mean, I, I really don't have much to say about him. Yeah, um, that I hard to disagree with that. I went with Mookie Betts just because right. he has been, especially on defense, he's been so good the last six seasons, basically. I was very torn on this one. I was going back and forth between them. Um, Mookie has been, over the past five years, better than Stanton, without a doubt. I, I gave Stan the edge just because he's played the whole decade. But if we're talking the last five years, it's clearly yeah. Mookie. Yeah, if Stanton yep. had played yep. at all this year, I I would be more inclined to go Stanton. But You don't mean you wait this past season far more than all previous seasons. Right, Ryan? Huh? No, I, but that's uh, another season in this decade that he hasn't played. Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, yeah. he, yeah, he didn't quite play the whole decade. Fair enough. And um, he, and he didn't even debut until 2011, I think. 2010. Did he debut 2010? Yeah. yeah. I, I went, Betts' peak is so much higher. No doubt. We'll see. We're not, I don't think Sam's done yet. He's only 29. I, you're telling <laughs> me. I hope not. He's played the whole <laughs> decade, and he, the dude's only 29 years old. So <laughs> I, I hope really he's hope done. he's not done. Yeah. yeah. Um, moving to our last offensive category, DH. Uh, go ahead, Ron. I went Nelson Cruz. Yeah, so did I. I mean, he led the decade in home runs. And, yeah. I mean, I'm not looking at much more than offensive stats for DH. It, it, yeah, so. We're not throwing... Arenado or Votto at DH and picking a true DH, which yeah. I'm sure we are. I got to go Nelson Cruz. Maybe yeah. Edwin, but that's about it. I went a little bit obscure. So I, I think Cruz was an outfielder to start the decade out, and he wasn't very good at it. So for that reason, I picked I picked David Ortiz as the DH. Yeah, I, my initial was yeah. Ortiz. Even through his last, his last season, I think was the second best season of his entire career. Like the dude went on an absolute tear. I don't know. How that happens? That, in my I'll opinion, tell that's you how it happened. <laughs> With a needle right. and a syringe and some HGH. That dude could have gone away with murder, honestly, in his last couple of seasons. That. However, just looking at it as stuff we know about, we don't know if he took anything or not. No, I, the dude I, was I, incredible. I don't. I don't think he did. But yeah, there's actually a really interesting video. Um, it's called Baseball Bits. It's a series on YouTube. They did a a video on that season by David Ortiz. It's a very fascinating watch. I highly recommend y'all check it out. But, uh, yeah, and Ortiz snuck it over Cruz for me. Yep. Yeah, I can't, and, I can't argue with that. Nah, neither can I. And 
starting pitcher, uh, Clayton Kershaw, is who it is up for me. I mean, there was no better pitcher in baseball from in the early 2010s. So. I I don't think it was particularly close for me. Yeah, yeah. it wasn't close. I mean, for me. Ver, Verlander somewhat close. If we're talking the whole decade, he's got an MVP. Scherzer somewhat close, but again, he wasn't as good in the first three or four years of the decade. I it it's even this year Kershaw wasn't at his best and he was still pretty good. It it's Kershaw and it's not particularly close. Yeah, he was yep. terrible. He was terrible this last year. What a 3.03 ERA, 16 of yeah. five. Just terrible. <laughs> and that was yeah. like a total down year. Yep. He 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 won it pretty easily for me as well. Yeah. For all the reasons y'all outlined. Yep. Uh, relief pitcher. I think was splitting hairs between two guys. Um, I I went Kimbrel, and that's again all personal opinion, taste. You can't go wrong with him, or I think you know overall just Chapman. I'll let y'all guess. Who do you think I picked? Chapman. No, uh, he's Kimbrel. Oh. Kimbrel led the Kimbrel matched Chapman in strikeout rate this decade and had more saves by a good amount. I got I had to go Kimbrel. Yeah, those first five years of the decade, Kimbrel was untouchable. That that was incredible. It was it was really fun. Well, it wasn't fun when I was watching him because when I was watching him, that meant the Phillies were losing and we're going. It was going quite to fun for me. Yeah, Justin could probably speak to more how fun it was. It, it was quite fun to me. <laughs> you know, Actually, was even, you yeah. know, you know what was even more fun is when we lost in the playoffs and I had to see the Kimbrough standing in the bullpen not doing anything because Freddie Gonzalez is an absolute idiot. But hey, the Orioles know that feeling. <laughs> All too well. Zach Britton. Mm-hmm. And Carcion. Oh my gosh. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, again, as I said earlier, there was a few positions where you could debate one or two players, but for the most part, we all know who the best first, players. In the first were. base, I think, was the closest. Yep, Votto and Votto Miggy. and Miggy are so close there. Mm. Yeah, for me, I think for me the closest Maybe third was, base, uh, Beltre Arenado. That was the closest for me. That one was really I close. St- I still say first. First base for me was the closest. I just, it's hard to. They're both. I I wanted to take Votto. I just Mickey was so good at the beginning of the decade, and wasn't yep. really good until it wasn't really bad until the past two years. I mean, Mickey did put still, up a couple even twenty seventeen. He was still pretty good. He was still okay last year. Like he wasn't like hurting. Yeah, no, he was. He wasn't bad last year. He was just like average. No, Grant. To be fair, if you're not hurting your team on the Tigers, you're probably the best player on the team. Yeah. No, that is absolutely especially That's last year's Tigers. <laughs> yeah. Because have they been? Is this two years in a row now? They've had the worst record in baseball. Mm, no, Orioles last year. Yeah. 2017, right, right. they had the worst record in baseball because they had the number one pick. Yes. And huh? last year they were still really bad, and they had the worst record this year too, right? Yes, they definitely had the worst record this year. By a lot. They yeah, because they took Mize two years ago, and the Orioles took Rutschman this year. I was doing the player rankings we've been doing over the past week, and every time I got to the Tigers, I was like, do I even need to bother looking? <laughs> no. I, I, I might have clicked on Castellanos for the outfield, and that's it. But he was a Cub half the season. Yeah. No, exactly. <laughs> they're bad. Yeah, they're, they're beyond bad. But decade in review uh... – yeah, I'm. I'm just gonna. This is gonna be more of a roundtable thing. How baseball's changed, I guess, in your eyes. We've all watched baseball, played baseball plenty over the last ten years. 
it's been our main sport to watch, main sport to talk about, main sport to play. Mm-hmm. And honestly, there has been a lot this change in the last 10 years. Just thinking yeah. back, I was watching MLB Network today about all, like, I guess it was different moments, you know, throughout the decade. And I always forget certain things still happened in the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I guess, I guess if anyone have any memorable moments from the decade, like your most memorable moments, like as a baseball fan? Um. I tugs in my heartstrings a little bit, but I think my favorite moment is it just off the top of my head without really sitting down to look at it. I think my favorite moment from the decade was uh, after Jose Fernandez passed in 2016, oh. D Gordon coming up, taking the first pitch from the right-handed batter's box. And then later that at bat hitting his, I think his only one of two home runs that season into the upper deck. I think they said it was his longest home run of his career. It, that, that was just really special to watch. And then I, I'd say, I guess a three-way tie for first. Uh, the Angels throwing a combined no-hitter the first home game after Tyler Skaggs passing, and they're all wearing the 45 jerseys. Just, I mean, you can't script it any better. And then um, Carrasco having the All-Star game in Cleveland and his standing ovation and watching the stand-up to cancer signs at the All-Star game this year. Yeah, last, like, three, four years, there's been a lot of a really just – Real life moments in baseball, and I love that. Uh, I I still tear up sometimes watching that T Gordon video. That's that's. Just oh my stuff. gosh, I I actually saw it this morning, which is why I was yep, thinking. So did I. I saw a video of it yesterday. I was watching a deck greatest American sports moments last decade, and that mm-hmm. came up, and to him just like coming out feel crying. I was like, oh my gosh. Oh. Yep. And I was I, hope, I was hoping one of y'all mentioned that. Yeah, honorable mention to uh, Ortiz hitting the grand slam off yep. Joaquin Benoit in the playoffs in 2014, right after the Boston Marathon bombings. That was awesome. I, I guess it was like a month or so after. That entire thing but. was quite the entire Boston Marathon when Poppy came out and gave the oh, speech yeah. on the on the, that was quite the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I, on a more baseball note, the Cubs winning the World Series was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that whole that whole Ra- game. Rajay Davis knew that game seven was, was incredible. quite exciting. That might, is that is that the up. best game of the decade? Yes. Game seven. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Everyone, no one's gonna remember this in 30 years. But do you remember how the Indians tied that game up? Who hit that home run off of Roldis Chapman? Rajay Davis. I just said it. Rajay Davis. Rajay Davis. Rajay freaking Davis. Yeah. Everyone forgets that. That was the most unlikely turn of events that could possibly have happened. Off of a roll, this chat and just takes it down in fastball and who had been down shoving all season. That is incredible, and I was really rooting for the Indians after that, just because of how unlikely that was. Yeah, the Cubs end up winning, great for them. I, I have no problem with that. And the, the Indians haven't won it since '44, right? So they both had obviously everyone knows the Cubs streak, but yeah, Indians since '48, I guess yeah. they had won it since. So both both of them had really long droughts on the line. Yeah. That was easily the best game of the decade, no doubt in my mind. Um, for me, just like on a fan, from a fan's perspective, Roy Howdy's no hitter in the playoffs. That that takes yeah, cake that's for all, me. that was awesome. Just as a personal fan moment, that takes cake for me. Dallas Brayton's uh, perfect game yeah. on Mother's Day after his mother's passing was pretty cool. Yep. Yeah. Yep, heard that one. Um, I'm, trying, I'm just trying to like. Rattle my brain. What else? Especially happened? like the the 2010 to 2014 15 period is really kind of dull in my mind now. Oh, I remember one. How about the outfield fly roll? Yeah. Okay. We said good <laughs> moments, not bad moments. Oh, I'm trying to think. That was awesome. Yeah, it was awesome. All right. I loved I, I every mean, second of it. 
Personal for me, Jeter hitting the walk-off in in Yankee Stadium in his last game, that was awesome. And you guys probably don't remember this, but uh, leading up to it, the Yankees were up three going into the top of the ninth, and the announcers were during some downtime discussing, well, should the Yankees pull Jeter in the middle of the inning to kind of give him a standing O as he walks off the field in his last game in Yankee Stadium? And I was like, "They they were up three, so pretty solid lead. I was like, I, I don't think they – I was talking to my dad. He thought they should go ahead and do it. I was like, I don't think they should do it because he's due up third next inning. Can you imagine if they tie the game and his spot in the order comes up and he's out of the game? And lo and behold, the Orioles tie the game. Jeter comes up with a runner on first and one out and knocks him in. That was – I still get goosebumps every time I watch that. Where fantasy becomes reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that, was, that was cool. I just have – oh, Mogan pulled by – Jeter, oh, who else was out there? Jeter, Jeter Pettit. 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 Yeah. I remember that one. That was. Yeah, I, I enjoyed that moment. That was yeah, one that of my favorites was... for the decade. And uh, the ovation they gave him in the All Star game too was awesome. Mm-hmm. I will say yes. as, a Bra- as a as a as a Braves fan, one of my favorite moments was I was watching live Chipper's last home run when he got to take Papelbon deep for a walk off. <laughs> that was quite enjoyable because man, I hate Jonathan Papelbon. Oh. I hated it. I hated that at the time, but the more I look back, the more I'm, I'm kind of happy that happened because I hate Papelbon too. <laughs> so, Gabe, what's your favorite Phillies moment of the decade? Roy Holiday's no hitter. Okay, yeah. The Phillies didn't have many moments, to be clear. <laughs> another, although another cool one that happened a little later, uh, Cole Hamill's no hitter in essentially his last start as a that Philly. Was, that was cool too. Yeah. Yeah. And then uh, Odubel Herrera doing his absolute best to blow it, but then still catching the ball on the warning track. <laughs> Did you see that? He, like, slipped and fell over and then just, like, yeah. caught the ball around the turf. Just gave every Philly fan a heart attack. But... Wayne Wise-esque. Yeah. He got the job done. So that was cool. Barely. To get the job done, though. Vince oh, Gully's well. last broadcast, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No doubt. Um, but any other moments? I'm just trying to rattle my head. I can't think of really any other that really jump out to me right now. That's all. Oh my gosh, Bautista's bat. Oh, Bautista's Oh my god. And then the next season, getting in a fist fight with Rugnit Odor at second base. He beat the crap out of Odor. That bunch laid it hard. I I hate Odor, so I was happy he. I was happy. Well, yeah, he got the best of Bautista in that sense, but yeah, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Odor's. I don't mind Odor, but it was funny when to watch. I, when I just thought of, we talked about this a little bit last pod, but having three perfect games in 2012. Insane. Yeah. That's never yeah, going to happen. You're not going to see that again. Yeah. Who's that? Who who did it that year? It was Philip Humber. Philip Humber, Matt Cain, and Felix. Because the two of them made sense. Like, Matt Cain back in the day was pretty solid. Yeah. Okay, but, was uh, nasty. There were some perfect games this decade. Or maybe it was just before the decade. That just made Armando no sense. Armando Galarraga almost random. throwing one. Dallas Braden. Just random guys. Like, yeah. game of their life, I guess. Live. I mean, game have I mean, it, it's so much luck that I feel like it, anybody can do it. Oh, okay, just, yes. Yeah. But you're more likely, if you're a guy like Roy Howdy, to be throwing a perfect game than oh, yeah, like but, yeah, but Galarraga. Yeah. The amount of luck that had to go into that. But that improves your odd. Being Roy Halladay versus Galarraga improves your chances of throwing a perfect game from .00001 to .0002. Fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. There it's gone. Roll credits. 
It's lit. <laughs> um, but I guess how has baseball changed in y'all's eyes, in our eyes, over the past ten years? What's been more widely accepted? What hasn't been? What's pushed out? What's been pushed in? How has the game changed? Wow, there's some. In my opinion, in my opinion, this past decade, except maybe for the decade before this one, it changed baseball more than any decade, basically like gameplay wise, changed yeah. baseball more than any other decade since maybe 30s, 1930s. It's been a long time since we've seen a change like this. It started kind of in the 2000s as well, to yeah. be fair, with like the uh, data revolution and all that, but. The, our knowledge just keeps increasing of oh, yeah. how baseball works, bat spin rate, um, exit the, velocity. The advanced data, sabermetrics have gone through the roof. It's just it's just stupid now. Like, could you imagine this? Tw- no one could have saw this coming 20 years ago. No. No. And shifts are so much more prevalent. That, mm-hmm. uh, Justin was talking about before we started recording. Three three outcome hitters yep. are so much more accepted. Guys like Joey Gallo, Chris Davis. Um, I mean, strikeouts way on the rise, home runs way on the rise. One thing I found interesting is stolen bases, I feel like, have been way down <laughs> towards the end of the decade, the last three or four years. And that, that's all due to sabermetrics, too. Sabermetrics and, yeah, the increase of home runs, why risk getting out on second base when the guy behind you's hit 40 home runs this season? Yep. I think I think that's actually the better point. It's not just about like stolen base success or stolen base failure because you know in Moneyball they made it popular like oh you've got to steal 70% of the time for it to be worth it I think that's a little bit extreme but you saw stolen bases start to make an uptick about 2010s from where they were they're starting to have an uptick again Mm -hmm. but then right around mid middle of the decade they started dropping off again once the Royals kind of fell off a little bit they made it they were kind of the team that popularized it again yeah but I think what you just hit on the head, Ryan, is the fact that home runs are increasing. You're absolutely right. Why risk a stolen base when you have a guy who's just as likely to hit a double in the gap as he is to hit a single? It doesn't yep. make much sense, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah. And like I've touched on like a guy like Ronald Acuna, like he got thrown out. I think one of the most in the major leagues this season. I'm like, I'm like, hey man, I love how fast you are, but you have Ozzy and Freeman and Donaldson behind you. It's yeah. like he was, you being. But it's just – it's moments like that, I mean. He was trying to get a 40-40 season in his defense, so I don't blame him. Uh, I, I don't think he was – get it. He didn't, but yeah. Oh, I mean – Did he hit 40 in either category? Yeah, he had 40 home runs. 40 home yeah, runs. Yeah, he had 40 home runs. Yeah, but um, the individual in baseball has become a lot more prevalent. I mean, whether, whether it's to your liking or not – Um. I would say that's something that's obviously changed over the last 10 years. Bad flips, wearing chains, et cetera. I like it. I think, it. I think baseball kind of needed a little bit more sexy to it. And that's coming about more a little bit, I think, with, like you said, bad flips and chains. And just feels like there's more personality in baseball again. It started out as, you know how like Great Britain's got all their gentlemen games and baseball has been like that for so long, and that's def. I, I think it's for worse, but that's just because I'm a traditionalist. It's for if you worse. Like that now, thing, if you like that thing, that's totally fine. And yeah, that has definitely changed in the last decade. It's kind of started before that, but sure. Oh, it's it started in I'll the steroid era. It started in the steroid era, but I feel like with the with like the prevalence with the prevalence of social media, it's taken off to new heights. 
Definitely. Like like we, like we've talked about the media hype around certain guys for one reason or another. Like like I would say 20 years ago, Vlad Jr. coming up wouldn't have been nearly as hyped up as it is today, as like the individual yeah. stuff like that. Doubt. The media now it's like all sports. It's not just baseball. They just want to focus on individual players now. It's for the last like 15 years or so. It's not about the teams anymore. It's about the players, which I. It just doesn't make sense to me. You're, because you're, we can, it, it, it makes total sense, and I'll tell you why. Because now we can follow – with social media, we are able to almost connect and follow individual players' lives instead of just the team. You're not – you're able to watch LeBron post his Taco Tuesday video on Instagram every week. Like things like – you can follow all of these players' lives individually, so we feel much more connected – to that individual player and what's going on with them versus just the team. It's a, re- it's re- you're right. You're absolutely right. It's a reality show now. And I guess, I suppose yep. a lot of people like that. And for me, I just like sports. I want the sports. I, I enjoy the competition. I enjoy watching the games. I don't really care about players' lives outside of that. Cause that's their lives. They can, they're free to live it. That's just my, um, okay. Boomer moment. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not big into reality TV. Okay. One thing, I think uh, instant replay has become huge, not just in baseball, but in all sports. And they've added the coaches' challenges now in baseball this season. And uh, one thing that I feel like was not really even a conversation at all at the beginning of the decade and now almost seems like it's pretty much guaranteed to be instituted in the next two or three years is robo-umps. Yeah, really? no, uh, yeah. yeah, Major Major League Umps accepted, talk about Major League Umpires accepted, year or two. Um, what was it, I can't think of the terminology. Like trial testing yeah, type Yeah, trial stuff. testing, Major League Beta Umpires test. have accepted that. Yeah, Yeah. well they were down in one of the minor leagues, Atlantic League maybe? Probably Atlantic League. But they, were, they had rub bumps on there, and there was a viral video that came out. Jason Hayward, not Jason, Jacob Hayward, Jason's little brother, got caked up by a ball that broke out of the zone, and the catcher didn't even catch. But the you know a, a one lace of the ball catches the bottom of the strike zone. He's struck out looking. Which just, I, mean, uh, I don't know about the next year or two. Uh, that's when I said what. That's what I, more like what I meant. Yeah. Like the next two three years is a bit of a stretch for me. Do I think it'll happen? The, yes. I, if you'd asked me last year, I would have said no. But I feel like the conversation has really picked up momentum in the last year or so. I'll tell you one thing I've noticed though. Um, on that point though. I think umpire strike zones have gotten extraordinarily more consistent and precise the last five years or so. If you look back, just look back at a watch a game 15 years ago and some of the strikes that umpires are calling, they're giving three, six inches off the plate sometimes. The one that instantly pops in my mind is the early 2000s game, playoff game for the Marlins. I think it was Levon Hernandez. Did you see yes. some of those strike samples calling? Yes. That would never happen today. Not even close. Umpires you know today. Why? Social media. Yeah. No, it's yeah, and how Hernandez gets ripped every single game he does. Yeah. But I yeah, think I mean, the NBA basically now. had to create their – they do a two-minute report now for officials where they will critique officials for the last yeah. two minutes of every game. And that has come about essentially just because of social media and the scrutiny of officials that happens because of social media. Yeah, y'all talk I, about that NLCS game between the Braves and Marlins <laughs> with sure. Levon. Mm-hmm. You know oh, what yeah, talking yeah. about, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Marlins. Yeah, that, that's the game y'all yeah. talk about. Yeah, it was Braves yeah. Marlins. Yeah, that was some yeah. of the worst umpiring I've ever seen. I, I could uh, not believe that was blatant 
bias. There's really no other. Oh yeah, it was bad. Yeah. What blew my mind though is the Braves hitters. They were just, I mean, they were upset, but they weren't really arguing with them. I mean, I guess they couldn't. They didn't want to. Some get of those ejected. strike calls, I would have gotten ejected over. I would have been ejected instantly. Like, oh my gosh, I would have been back in his face. They were, they were bad. But yeah. Who's manager then was it Ozzy Guillen? I would have been out of there. <laughs> How is no one Ozzy? I'm surprised he wasn't. Yeah. Exactly. I don't know. But, oh, wait, uh, no, I guess Ozzy was the manager for the Marlins. I don't know. Yeah, Bobby it was, Bobby, it was Cox. Bobby Cox, yeah. Yeah, I was there for, like, two decades. Come on, Ryan. Yeah. Figure it yeah. out. Yeah. Robo-Umps, yeah, I can see that being a thing. For, um, like, official reviews, I'm not sure that's great for a sport like basketball because it's so fast-paced and you're going to make mistakes. It's just going to happen, and that's why they have replay. But baseball, yeah, I think that's completely there's, viable. There's a lot more downtime in between. Yeah, action. you see – 250 pitches a game, you should be getting them right 99% of the time, in my opinion. And I think they have been. I think the umpires have been better the last five years. They have right. been. There's always going to be talk over it. And there's pros and cons to robot umps, but I think – and, if yeah, I think having it instituted within two and three years is a little bit of a stretch, but it's not like we don't have the technology. It's just getting people behind it. Yep. What do you and say – when you say robot umps, Ryan, does that mean, like, glasses – human umpires wear or is it no, like, a, like they're, they're, test, they're testing someone up in the press boxes getting it whether it's a strike or a ball and they're signaling it down to the umpire and the umpire's calling it ah uh, okay like okay. your piece stuff like so, that like auto, automated strike zone mm-hmm. got it okay and like that's my biggest issue with it all is like i was kind of for robo umps at one point and then that video of jacob hayward came out and if y'all haven't seen yeah, it yeah what do you it i haven't seen it and like I, it and I as think, a catcher it takes away everything that i work on Pitch yeah. framing, receiving, none of that. You could stick. You could stick a. You, I could lay down back there for most most games. That's for most true. pitches. Wow. Like it takes the catcher position completely out of play. Framing, receiving, any of that. It's it's completely worthless then. That's a great point. That that would change baseball. You're right. We could have like a guy that, like. That's my biggest issue with it. Do you remember um, Bryce from high school? I forget his last name. Jobson. No. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yes. He could not frame at all. He was terrible. You, you could throw a guy back like that. Like that back there, and be totally fine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, de- defense as a catcher would come down to literally your arm, and that would be it. You'd you'd yeah. be a, you'd be at the H essentially. That's that's crazy. You're yep. you're absolutely right. Yep. That that's my biggest uh, qualm with it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't know that I want it to happen because, like you said, umpires have gotten a lot better, and I. I think there's something to be said about having a little bit of subjectivity because like Justin was saying with the Jacob Hayward video, how do you you prevent that? If the ball clips, barely clips the strike zone, but it's clearly like it's not a strike. Well, it's it's, it's Uh, an issue. Like by definition, it's a strike. Yeah, technically it is. In in the game of baseball you've been playing for 15 years, it's not a strike. Technically it maybe clips the strike zone, but is that a pitch that's ever – ever no. going to get called by a human ump? No. Then no, it probably, it's if it's not going to be that's called by a human ump 90% of the time, it probably shouldn't be a strike. Yeah. Players I, are going to start having to learn to hit the high strike again. Yes. Which umps have not really been... Although umps have started being given higher strikes recently because pitchers have started going <laughs> higher in zone. Hmm? <laughs> I said Aaron Judge. Yeah. I feel bad. That man, due to no fault, his strike zone is enormous. Yeah. I like, call everything on him. Players are starting to learn to hit the high ball again because 
they're adjusting the pitchers' tendencies last few years, but it higher strikes are going to start getting called. Get a better launch, or it's easier to elevate a ball that's already elevated. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not for Robolomps. I'm for mm, – I don't know. I don't know. I don't have a take on this either way. I just don't like Robolomps, I guess. I see the upside, but I see a downside. I don't okay, like the yeah. automatic ejection for arguing balls and strikes. I think that's stupid. If you're having a crappy day behind the plate, Aaron Boone should be able to let you have it. I will say, instant replay has taken a little bit out of that of baseball. And it's, <laughs> I kind of do miss it. I do miss that part about baseball. Yeah. yeah, it's just dudes I, going to rip each other open in the middle. Can of the I, I I like instant replay because it's allowed us to correct some things. Like Galarraga's missed perfect game would not happen uh, if we had instant replay like we do now. Things like that that are egregious errors that need to be fixed. I love it. But things like I've seen on multiple instances where managers will challenge to see like a runner sliding into second base if his foot pops a millimeter off the bag yes, while the yes. still on. Things like that. That should not. That's not I what agree. it's for. I, I agree. That bothers me. That bothers me to heck. Because okay, no. when you're when you're second baseman or a shortstop, you're taught to, when you're trying to turn a double play, like you need to be quick. You may not quite hit the base. The ump's gonna give it to you. It's the yeah. and I agree. Like if you're Just six inches inch. off, yeah, I agree. Yeah. That's okay, fine. But if like, you're an inch or they miss like, it come by, on, I mean, man, come on. Yeah, no, that's too much. Come or like on. runners popping up a little bit off second yeah, base when sliding. And keeping the tag on them, things like that. No, that's not what replay was intended for. That's ridiculous to me. I agree. But yep. I mean, yeah, as a man, that's just goes with the territory, I guess. Because as yep. a manager, if you have the opportunity to do that, you've got to challenge it and get that out if it's given to you. But I don't see a clear way to write that out of the rule book, though. Yep. You can't. I don't think you can. It's, it's too hard to exclude those specific situations yep. without excluding. A situation like, that means something. Back by a foot type situations, too. No, I agree. I completely agree. Hey, thing before, before we keep going, who just moved their fan into their microphone? Um, not me. Also, me okay, it just went away. I'll edit it. I don't know what just came through my ears. Anyways. Also, uh, Justin, um, make sure you... Uh, Blank out when I, I I named Bryce. Don't make sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll that, yeah. That, was, that was my bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We we all got our text. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, my bad. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, fine. I'll yeah, I'll do that. Don't you worry. Thanks. Anyways, getting back into it. Just continue on with you what you were about to say. So another thing that's really changed the last decade, velocity pitching wise. Yeah. We were we were starting to see the beginning of that towards the beginning of the 2010s. Like there's an uptick in guys throwing like 95, and it was starting to become like 92, 93 was the norm. And everyone's flipping out. Look at it now. God, if you're not throwing 95 as a incoming starter prospect, like you're not going to keep up. Um, I'm personally, this is, I mean, obviously everyone has their own take on this. I'm a velo guy. I've always been a velo guy. I think you can teach control better you can than you can teach velocity. Um, there are programs like Driveline. There are programs like Rapsodo. There are different programs out there that help you teach velocity and help you get that uptick. But I'm going to take a guy who throws 95 to 96 who's wild before I take a guy who's maybe 88 yeah. with better control. And the prospects – I mean, the, sorry, the scouts have agreed with you over the yeah. last decade, partially because it's much easier to see, wow, that guy throws fast. I like him, as opposed to, wow, that guy is – hitting his spots every single pitch like that's 
naturally you're going to levitate towards the guy who's doing hard. Hitting your spots is a lot more subjective than a radar gun reading. Yep, that too. Mm -hmm. Because if you're a scout and you can say, this guy throws 99, let's develop him. You can't be wrong about that. The radar gun says 99, you're right. If you're a scout and you say, this guy throws 90, but he really hits his spots well, and he comes up and he doesn't have quite a, he loses his touch, or he doesn't develop the speed, Mm -hmm. what are you more on the hook for? I can tell you just from personal experience. um, So I I pitched for the club team UVA, and in high school, I was high set through high 70s. I was not a high velo guy. I relied on location somewhat, but more speed changes. I've recently not been able to throw strikes to my breaking balls, and I've just been getting knocked all around the yard in the last couple seasons. It's partially because I haven't as many reps, but whatever. I've been getting knocked around. So if pitchers lose that touch as a lower velo guy, you're done. There's nothing you can do about it. If you have a bad day, even just like half the time you have a bad day, your ERA is going to be five or six because half the time you can't spot up your breaking balls. You usually get hit all over the ballpark. Yeah. So it's, I think high, higher velo guys, while they have higher potential for injuries, they're less volatile when they're actually in the game. Because even if they're not having their best day with control, you know they're still going to pick up some outs just from guys not being able to hit them. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with that statement. Um, yeah. And, like, that's another thing that I think guys at a younger age are focusing a lot on velo nowadays. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's gotten to the point where, like, where I go to school, we're obviously a small, we're obviously a small D3 school, but we have a $9,000 program that pros have, and so do other schools such as Macon and stuff like that, that I've seen from a couple of our own guys, like one of my buddies just had shoulder surgery last year. And he came back on the mound for the first time in months, and he hit 86 as fall. And, like, by no means, he's no bigger than Ryan. Yeah. Um, and it's, Can you it's, give me what he's getting? Yeah, yeah, a new, a new shoulder. And it's, like, stuff like – it's, stuff. It's you know, these development plans. Um, driveline baseball is obviously huge. That's a Trevor Bauer. Trevor Bauer heavily endorses that. I think every yeah. college nowadays has driveline baseball, plyo balls, J-bands, et cetera. Bauer's the most scientific pitcher in baseball. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's crazy. Have you seen he'll go in the lab and engineer his yes. pitches and yeah. find well, that's, But that's, uh, that's, fun fact, I think my dad may uh, meet Bauer in around February. Oh, cool. He sent him. An, did I tell y'all he sent him an email to Bauer's? Or sent an email to Bauer's agent about because Bauer's a big drone guy about coming yeah. out to NASA for a day to do some stuff with drones. And his agent got back to him, and uh, they talked on the phone for a little bit a couple weeks ago. I think he may come out in February. What? with my dad I might, lucky. I might have to visit lucky, lucky <laughs> um but yeah no that stuff where bauer goes into in it tunnels his pitches that's that rap soda stuff that a lot of schools have now it's like it's it's really interesting i literally will sit there oh like if we're throwing pins and stuff um in a pin i don't have to catch i'll sit there on the ipad and just watch these guys you can now spin rate you're getting full movement of pitches you're getting how you can tunnel a change up off a fastball off a slider you're seeing all these heat maps of guys. They have it for hitters, too. We have it on exit velo, launch angle, projected distance, our own heat maps, all this other stuff. Like, it's quite the technology swing. And I think yep. that's what's power. Everything we've just talked yep. about is everything that baseball has turned into has been based off technology. Robo-ups, how hitting's developed, how pitching's developed, how it's all viewed now. Three outcome guys versus, you know, stolen bases, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that's 
you're, you're no offense. That's D three baseball. Can you imagine D one minor league major oh, yeah. league data? Oh, yeah. It's got to be insane. It's like doing homework. Like, yeah. You have no, to it, study for like five hours I, for the game. Yeah. Oh yeah, like I mean, like, guys will sit in the. I've seen guys in the outfield now with like index cards in their back pockets because oh, there's yeah, the so much information stuff. they need yeah. to have for the game. Yeah. The, coach the just, increase hey, in go left. Too. Yeah. The increase in shifts. Yeah. I like the increase in shifts. That's something. I that like it. I think it's genius. You I have access four. to that data. If you can increase your, it sucks as a pitcher. See, I'm sure seeing a shift and having a ball hit that would normally be an out, but you don't think about all the outs that you now make that would be hits because of the shift. And the people who say that they need to change the rules to make positions go to positions, they can suck it. That is not how baseball is. If you want to stick all nine of your guys in right field. Yeah, do do it. That's (laughs) it's, it's, you have fair territory. You have nine defensive players and the positions that were assigned that what we call them are just totally arbitrary how baseball was started was okay. You have nine guys go. I don't care where you stand. Just go. And yeah, we figure out over the years where players should stand, but, but now the shifts and all the data coming out. At what positions? Yeah. But, yeah. No, if you want to load your, I love when they'll bring an outfielder into the infield and have five infielders, especially yeah. when you've got a guy like Mookie Betts, who's played infield before. Mm-hmm. And you can bring him into the infield and potentially get an out because of that. Do it. Who cares? Yep. You've got so much open grass space out there that if they sh- they can put whatever shift on you the- they want. If you can't get around it, too bad. Yep. yep. Figure it out. I could not agree more. Like uh, I I watched plenty of Brian McCain this year, and let me tell you, I put all nine guys at second base because he's nothing doing. He's not doing anything more with the ball <laughs> than that. Well, he's not hitting many baseballs now. Yeah, thank goodness. Uh, but uh, or actually hitting any baseballs. Yeah, the decade's been quite wild for baseball as a whole over the last ten oh, years. Yeah. And mm-hmm. as we just mentioned, I think it all comes back to technology. The the new on yeah. the nuances of all this technology that every team has gotten access to and every player does. And I'm not. I feel like technology has maybe changed baseball more than basketball and football. I do pay attention to baseball more. Basketball, it's changed shot selection a little bit, but not a ton. Guy, teams have started doing some hack-a-shack here and there, but other than that, I feel like analytics hasn't changed basketball a whole lot, other than maybe the Rockets, who have taken it to an absolute extreme. Yeah, I mean, there's yeah. The, the Rockets have taken it to the extreme where they don't shoot mid-range shots, but yeah. in, in the flow of a basketball game, there will be plenty of those shots actually. I, and I, I think both of those sports are dragging behind baseball a little bit as far as analytics and this advanced data move. Because uh, the NFL still – coaches are just now starting to figure out, like, like if you're down 14 and you score a touchdown, you should go for two. Coaches are just now figuring that out, and that's essentially just basic – math and statistics yeah i mean look at doug peterson doug That's peterson's right. doing all these other things that other coaches aren't doing and joe matt and i would and reference him to being like joe madden with the rays yeah. in 2010 10 it's the kind ago. of breakthroughs that they're having in football now that they were having in baseball in the Moneyball era in the early 2000s mm-hmm. i agree i 100 percent agree and i'll tell you what as an eagles fan i i've been saying since i, I think i started hitting my sabermetric nerdy mindset like around age 13 14 when i started doing high school baseball stats and it was around that time I was sitting there watching a game one time. It's like fourth and one, 
I forgot how much time is left. They were down like seven points. I'm like, wait, why are they punting here? This just doesn't make sense. Like, there's okay, even if you turn the ball over here, the odds of you getting a first down significantly outweigh the benefit of getting 25 yards on the punt. It's just stuff like that. Yeah. Um, so you'll you'll love. I'm, there's a great. I think it's called Surrender Index on Twitter. It's yeah. a great account. They have this whole index, oh. basically how cowardly a punt is. No, there was, that was a video by John Boyce. A score, they'll tweet it. I saw that. John Boyce created a video a while back about like the most cowardly punts of the decade or something. Well, Amazing yeah. watch. Amazing watch. Yeah. Check so that they out. Have a, they have an account that I think will give you a score for every punt, and then there's a, a sub-account that will only tweet the high-tier cowardly punts. Yep. I, and I, I, bet, I bet Jason Garrett's had about half of them last few years. <laughs> <laughs> But as an Eagles fan, I could just say having Doug Peterson be the one to kind of start that revolution, although, frankly, it should, it's long overdue. But for him to be the one to start that has been so satisfying. And I love uh, Frank Reich, who is a Doug from the Doug Peterson coaching tree. He's kind of of that same build, too. Yeah. I, I remember uh, last year, the end of the game, they were tied with the Texans in OT with like a minute left at the 50-yard line. Basically, if they punted... They were going to tie if he went for it. They were either going to lose if they missed it or were going to win if they went for it. And he or got it and he went for it and they ended up losing. But I just love that kind of outside the box thinking ahead kind of. It makes it makes me very happy. Now, I, I'm still watching games with my dad sometimes. And he actually, he's actually right outside my door. So you might be hearing me right now. That'd be fun. It's a conversation later. But we'll be watching games. And this is five, six years ago. I'd be like, why aren't they going for this? He's like, what are you talking about? You've always punted in this situation. If team coaches know what they're doing, they're the ones getting paid the big bucks, Gabe. That's why you're here sitting on the couch. It's like, huh. okay, math doesn't lie. Yeah, yeah, 13, yeah, 13 year old Gabe. Why don't you go like, out there? Last uh, night, you guys were watching the Clemson yes. Ohio State game. Yes. Why yes. did Ohio State not go for two? Yes. Okay, Clemson then everyone went for two at the end. Clemson went for two at the end to make sure they have to kick and that, that extra point. Because there's no difference between being up four and being up five, but there's a huge difference between being up four and being up six. Yep. Yeah. And same, why would Ohio State not go for two to make it a three-point game? Because there's no difference between being up one and being up two. You're not going to give up a safety. You're not playing for that. You're playing I for was, a few. I was why watching would you not that. go for two? It didn't end up making a difference, but why would you not go for two? I was watching that. They got the touchdown. And I was like, wow, that was an amazing touchdown. I looked back at the screen, and I saw the ball go to the uprights. So I was like, wait, did they, just, did they just kick an extra point? Like, that has to be a mistake. They did not just do that. Why, just, if you're up 21-22, or 22-21, why would you not go for two? It makes yeah. absolutely no because sense. Because we might miss it. Oh. You know, I, I would have to look more at numbers, but if I was an NFL head coach, I would seriously consider not kicking an extra point at all, especially since they. If you go fifty percent, it's like kicking extra points. No, because a hundred. If you go fifty percent, and that's banking on a hundred percent extra yes, point. Percent. which is not the case anymore. Yeah, mm. trust me, I'm a Bears fan. I know. <laughs> yeah, I had to watch Adam Vinatieri for fifteen games this season. Yeah, okay, you know exactly what I'm talking about. That we lost. We'd be in the playoffs if it weren't for Adam Vinatieri's kicking this year. We lost three games directly because he couldn't make a field goal. Simple expected value uh, probabilities. So yep. if you have ninety percent, I would think about going for it every single time. You have a ninety percent extra point rate. And to equal that, you have to have a 45% two-point conversion rate. And with the plays some of these teams draw up now, I don't see why that is not a thing. Oh, yeah. I, I guess eventually you kind of run out of plays and they feel like they're... Yeah, that's fair. But maybe then you go for two until you feel like 
you're kind of out of plays and you're not going to be as successful. And then you start kicking extra points. Honestly, I don't have too much of a problem with teams still kicking extra points as like the go to. It's so close probability wise. I'd oh, say. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's why, I mean, there's not really a right answer with that, but I would seriously consider going for two every time. There are times though. Like if you're down 14 points, you score a touchdown. Oh go my gosh. Two every go single time. Two. Because if you get the two and they score again, then all you have to do is kick the extra point. You win. Yeah. And if you miss it, you still have a chance at a two-one conversion the next time. If yeah, you I, kick a field, if you kick a field extra point down fourteen, all you're doing is playing for overtime and a fifty-fifty chance to win in overtime. Yep. Yep. I think that's. I think it's gonna wrap us up here for episode fifteen of Ferret's Gone. I think we're gonna try to get some out this week talking about the NFL. Wrap everything up we couldn't cover on this pod. So thank you guys for listening.